Coming to you from Hyatt Top Art Studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 51. Today's show is our 2022 NAB show and wrap-up. We're packed with interviews from Panasonic, Blackmagic, and Aperture. Plus, we have updates on our experiences with the new Mac Studio machines. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Well, welcome back, everyone, to Tech Move. And as we promised you earlier in the show, that this was going to be our uh, very special 2022 NAB show episode. Uh, the great Keith Moreau was able to head out to Las Vegas uh, late April of 2022 to go to the NAB show. And uh, Keith, uh, how was the show? I think it was like the first real show in like a couple of years isn't that right yeah i think it was actually three years the last wow. one okay yeah Man. this was the first show in three years the last <laughs> one was 2019 okay yeah right same, around the same time in year, like april-ish so, right yeah be, be, because it was just about you know this part of the year where covid was really taking hold and stuff like that and that was really in the that two, what 2000 1920 yeah, 20 really was uh, was the height of it so yeah you might have just gotten away with uh, getting <laughs> uh, to that last show there yeah the last so in 20 in like March 18th of 2020 is when the covid lockdown started yep and like even a week before that everybody was going oh it's just going to blow over and then uh, and I had already signed up for NAB and you know plane tickets and hotels and everything for yeah. NAB and and uh, 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 event that was also kind of going to be around around April another re- recording like paid recording event I needed to to do or was booked to do and that was canceled a little bit before um, the NAB was actually canceled because NAB was canceled pretty late it was canceled like um, early April Oh, so kind of a last minute yeah, thing. Yeah, it was a last oh, minute wow. thing, okay. which I think for for me it was not great, you know, financially because I think I got all my money back, and I think I got some worthless airline credits <laughs> um, to use at a later date, but use it within the next ten minutes. Yeah, use it at a later date, but then they don't seem to want to give you like real plane tickets. They want to give you like really cheapo plane tickets vouchers yeah vouchers that right. aren't good for a lot right so so <laughs> so i i think i lost money on that but but anyway um yeah so this happened at the last minute and it was really disappointing um just in general i mean covid was so disappointing for everybody in a lot of different ways but that was just at the last minute so it was especially disappointing but anyway you know and then the next year came around and they were actually going to do it in 2021 in september yes and that was canceled too at the last minute. Wow! Yeah. It was, an, and it was also. But I just decided to go to Las Vegas anyway, just for a vacation. So, 
I didn't cancel all my accommodations. I just didn't go to the non-existent show. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, so then this year, this year, 2022, uh, finally, they, it reappeared. And apparently, uh, COVID does not exist in Las Vegas. <laughs> right. <laughs> not <laughs> because now. Yes. Nobody, like absolutely nobody was wearing a mask. I mean, there might have been a couple people. Um, most of them, I think, were like Asian. Yes. But... but other than that, 99.99% of the people there, all the vendors, all the participants, every single person did not wear a mask. And packed in like sardines too, I'll bet. Um, yeah, it wasn't <clears> – <throat> my experience was it wasn't super, super, super crowded like some of the NEBs, but I didn't actually go right at the show opening. I was actually there a couple of days late because of my schedule. So right. I didn't go to the first two days of it. I went to the last two days. Which is usually like the, the 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 most attended part of the show, right? The first couple of days. Yeah, usually the opening is just super packed because everyone wants to see every, all the new stuff right away. Right. Uh, they don't want to hear the news later. They want to just get it. And um, so I wasn't there for that part. So I don't know how how crowded it was. And so when I went, it was it was not empty, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't so packed that it was uncomfortable. It was okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, what what what. How did you feel about the number of vendors that were at NAB this year? Um, I felt that there definitely were less. There were less, and I think there were some people that planned to go and they didn't go at the last minute, uh-huh. maybe because they didn't want to get messed up again. Right. Um, and then some of them seemed to have had contingencies where they would just combine with another another booth. I'll give you an example. DJI, which usually has a gigantic presence there, Yep. Because they have all these gimbals and they have all these drones and and maybe other miscellaneous things. Um, they usually have a huge presence at the last shows I've been to. And they were, you couldn't even find them there. I think they had one little section inside of the B&H pavilion or booth, which really wasn't that big. So that's an example of a company that just didn't. Especially DJI, huh? Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of interesting because they're always coming out with new stuff. And Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think they did have something there, like if you planned it, but it wasn't as massive as it usually was because I, I pretty much missed it. I think I saw a couple drones in the B&H booth and then didn't really have time to investigate it. So, well, yes, but that's an example. Um, and other other big ones had, had smaller booths. Um, I think Atomus usually has a giganto massive, massive booth with, you know, like a circus show going on in it. Right. <laughs> and uh, they didn't have that this year. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely smaller. I think the – so the, the convention – Las Vegas Convention Center is vast, and there's three different halls. There's the North Hall, um, where I think a lot of the seminars and things like that, more like classroom-type stuff, happens in the North Hall. It's more like a office building. But yep. there's there's also exhibits there, too. And then um, and then there's the Central Hall, which is really primarily where all the a lot of the stuff we like is there. A lot mm-hmm. of the actions there, and then there's the South Hall, which has two floors actually, so it's super massive. The South Hall was, wasn't even open for the show, so oh. so like half of, I think half of the capacity wasn't even filled. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow! So yeah. so so that really does show that the uh, uh, the amount of vendors were not there. I think it was less as in regular. Yeah. Wow. I haven't I haven't looked at the stats, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was less. It was fine for me because I wasn't there for very long, so it was in a way made it easier for me to see every square foot of the whole thing quickly. 
I remember in years past when we would do our annual NAB shows here on Tech Move that it would be sometimes difficult to get uh, people to get on camera uh, to do interviews just because of time constraints, number of people that were there, all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. How did you feel this year with what uh, interviews we were able to uh, to get this year? Um, I felt like a, I felt like a, I felt really wanted to. I probably could have pressed and gotten uh, some interviews with pretty much anybody I wanted. It was, it didn't seem like it was overly crowded. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like by the time I was there, I think they were starting to peter out, so there wasn't a huge rush because all the new, all the the real uh, you know hardcore tech news people had already probably been there and done their reviews or done their interviews. But um, yeah. Magic is really hard to get into um, initially, but I didn't have a. I just went up to the back, the press area in the back of it, and talked to a um, press uh, specialist there and got it set up within about ten minutes. That's uh, good. Yeah, well, that's good. Sometimes, so, so quite a bit easier than than in years past. Yeah, that was easy, and I mean, I didn't do that many interviews this year just because I wasn't personally wasn't interested in a bunch of stuff. Right. Uh, that 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 was there. Um, I think just in general. This this year's NAB wasn't su- super exciting in that re- regard. There wasn't a lot of brand new, amazing stuff. It was maybe incremental. Um, just but I think because NAB shoes are not where the 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 vendors that we are interested in st- release their big news. They used to do that, you know, like several years ago. They used to yep. have brand new products coming out in NAB, but now it's I think they're so uncertain that they don't want to wait for it and they just release it whenever they want. And whenever it's convenient for them, I am wondering if supply chain issues, you know, that are worldwide right now, have anything to do with that. You know, where yeah. it's like, you know, we used to, you know, everybody used to target NAB or you know, let's let, let's get to Cinegear or something like that. Yeah, but with uh, you know all the quote unquote supply chain issues that are rampant in the news right now, if if that has anything to do with. You know, maybe lack of exciting uh, things that are coming out. I mean, uh, literally, the the most exciting thing we've had over the last year has been like the Mac Studio, right? And they're yeah. not exactly announcing that at NAB. No, so. no, yeah. It, it at least in the camera area, there's been some pretty cool stuff in the last few years. Yeah, but, yeah. But it just this NAB didn't have, in my opinion, didn't have have it but that's okay and they just and they just seem to be releasing it like when they want to yeah. off their website or making some sort of you know instagram announcement whatever it is and yeah there you go yeah, yeah. which is fine it's fine it was still really fun to go and going to las vegas was really interesting i actually went there like i, I think i'd said there wasn't any b planned for the, for september of 2021 and i so i haven't it's i've been there fairly recently <laughs> to las vegas and uh, but it's always fun to go to Las Vegas, and then this year because there's no COVID, haha, um, <laughs> it was even more fun. Right, <laughs> breathing on people, yeah, and, all the uh, breathing. All, right, no, that's good. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you did that. That's that's very good. <laughs> but we got tests afterwards, and luckily we didn't. Luckily we didn't. So, but that's know, great. Testing myself no, all the time. Yeah, no good news. But um, yeah, so uh, but it was still fun to be there. It was really like kind of nostalgic, and um, and so yeah, so I had fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that, that that's great. Well, you, you know what, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have 
a few uh, fantastic interviews uh, that Keith was able to conduct while being on the NAB floor this year in Las Vegas. And we'd like to share that with you. And uh, But let's do this, Keith. Let's take a quick timeout. Uh, we want to check out uh, a couple of our recordings here in the background because we are trying some new technology here. And we're <laughs> hoping that you can hear us okay yeah. and that I'm not sounding personally coming from a tunnel or some <laughs> sort of escape pod of some sort. So, Keith, let's do this. Let's uh, take a quick break, and then we will come back with our first of many interviews from NAB. Shall we do that? Yes. Sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with more Tech Move. It's Tech Move in our continuing coverage of NEB 2022, and we have the pleasure of visiting with a company that we have interviewed over the last several years of NAB. And this is the fine folks over at Aperture. And Keith, our man on the street, was able to get hold of Brady Bissett, who was good enough to be able to spend some time with us. So, Keith, uh, yes. what over at yes. Aperture yes. were you looking at or what what was interesting? interesting you uh from those fine folks uh well i've always um i actually have a bunch of aperture products they have, they make great lights yep and i had i really have fun uh, in the past i've interviewed uh ted sim who's now the ceo oh but my I'm, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah no he's he's really a cool guy and he's really personable and even though we've only met a few times i feel like like we're friends yeah and um but unfortunately he's getting like a a business degree from Harvard Business School, so he wasn't there that day. He was actually had to take some finals or something. Oh, such low uh, <laughs> aspirations, huh? Wow, jeez, yeah. that poor so, guy. Yeah, Gee. but yeah. So there were a couple of people left. This was actually right at the end of the show. They were about to close, so for the whole show, like the last day. And so I did snag a couple, a couple of the reps there. They have so what they do now, which is really cool, is Aperture is for these shows is hiring um people that use their products that make that make and they're pretty good speakers and and know and know how to know know how to talk about the tech and so um Brady is one of these people he has a YouTube channel he talks about um actually I haven't watched it yet but I will be watching it and and uh he seemed very knowledgeable we talked a little after the interview after the interview after the and uh anyway he was a great guy he talked he knows about the products he knows about lighting and uh, it was a fun interview. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, okay, so let's do this. Let's uh, go ahead and go with our uh, interview with Brady Bissett over at Aperture, along with our very own Keith Moreau on our NEB coverage right here on Tech Move. We've got Brady Bissett here from Aperture, and uh, Aperture is a mostly lighting company. Um, and Brady, Brady's actually an ambassador for Aperture, so not only does he work for Aperture, but he also has his own career. So we're going to talk with Brady a bit about Aperture products, some of the stuff he's excited about as a DP, and then stuff about his own career. Hey, Brady. 
Hey, how's it going? Thanks for thanks for chatting, talking to me here. I love it. I love being here. I'm a gear nerd myself, so it's it's a good it's a good place to be. Awesome. How long have you been here in this booth? Um, so as far as this week goes, I have been here since when did NAB start? Sunday. I got here Saturday. So I've been here Saturday, and we've been running around, having having fun, meeting people. I like talking. It's fun. How long have you been involved with Aperture? With Aperture, I started a partnership. So I run a YouTube channel for cinematography and educational stuff. So I started working with them probably about January of 2021, uh, just working on like a YouTube partnership. And then as of a few months ago, I was introduced as an Aperture ambassador as well. So uh, I'd say a year and a half I've been working with them. What's your YouTube channel? My YouTube channel is my name. So it's Brady Bissett. And a lot of lighting. But cinematography, I do some color grading, uh, really anything educational. I like to teach. I learned via online, social media, in person. I wanted to extend that to anybody else who's trying to learn as well. That's awesome. So what what's some of the pro- Aperture products that you're personally excited about? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> um, it seems like every few weeks they're coming out with something new. So, I mean, there's a lot. There's definitely the 600D Pro I use very frequently. So that's one of my go-to kits because it's the most diverse with modular lighting. The 1200D Pro obviously excites me because it's just an absolute beast. Um, and, of course, the 600C Color Pro, which includes the RGBWW, which you'll see in the Nova, all in a chip in a 600D kind of form factor with modular lighting. All three of those are fantastic. But then on the other side of the spectrum, with the Amaran releases, with the flexible lights and the tube lights as well, focus on the flexible lights. I use those all the time because the form factor and affordability for them is fantastic. And it's pretty much the same color science as the RGBWW Nova in the flexible light as well. Super lightweight. You can really throw it anywhere. And that's what I love about it. So you like the 600D Pro. I personally have the 300D. I think when I got that, this that, that had just come out. And do you have you used the 300? The 300D? Yeah, so I use the 300D pretty frequently as well. When I don't necessarily, when I know I don't need 600 power, I'll resort to the 300D, uh, but if I'm ever, you know, unsure about it, just for safety's sake, I'll just go towards the 600. A lot easier to switch out. A lot easier to switch out settings rather than a whole light. Yeah, it's easier to turn down a 600D rather than maybe adding another light to the 300. Exactly. So, um, tell me, tell me, um, situation where you might use the 600. Every. <laughs> um, so a lot of the times I'll use the 600D as uh, a hard light, like creating texture on the background with um, with a spotlight mount. And then I can put a gobo through it, create texture as well. Always use that. But then other times when I know I want to really get a soft source of light, double diffuse it, either bounce light, book light, you're still going to have the output with the 600D power to make that light soft, even cutting through layers of diffusion. What type of... Uh I think I actually... Do I have a softbox for that? Yeah, I think I have a softbox. I, I, I don't know if I have an Aperture softbox because when I was when I was uh, interested in this one, their softboxes were kind of hard to set up. Are their softboxes a little bit more flexible and quick now? Oh, yeah. So the first model, it was the one where you kind of have to stick it in, stick in the four foundation ones, and then stick in all the prongs additionally. But now it's to the point where it's just... You pop it, it's got a little tab, it clicks into place, so you can just pop it in, build the frame up, and five seconds really so and the nice thing about it is it's the bowens mount modifiers so bowens mount's pretty universal it's not just proprietary to aperture every brand is going to make some sort of bowens mount adapter so if you already have that and you're making the change makes it easy 
So you talked about gobos. What type of gobos do you use and why? And uh, go into that a little bit. Yeah, the two common ones I'll use are either a window frame with like the, either the blinds or the cross, uh, cross members because that just creates a natural window look. Or additionally, if I'm cutting through somewhere where a window wouldn't make sense, sometimes I'll just get one that has a brush or a little like holes for texture to make it feel like the sun's coming through a tree out through a window or outside and hitting on the wall. Because if you just have open flat source, you're not adding texture as much. You're just adding another bright area where the eye might go. So to cut up that and break up and add contrast at something like a gobo with really whatever texture fits the environment but those are the two that uh, i really like to resort to and do you, is there a focus ability so you can soften the edges of the gobo oh yeah so that's the great thing about the spotlight mount is you can adjust it ultimately like you're pulling focus on a lens make the edges sharp make the edges soft make it feel really natural and appropriate that's awesome um okay well we're we're in this section here we have the 600 here i think we have the 12 1200 no. D. Yeah, yep, correct. And then there's in the back. Is there a, is there a 2400 or or something? No, so right now, right now the 1200 is the flagship, the brightest, obvious or often referred to or compared to rather to the M18. Or so um, that's our brightest right now. But then we're surrounded by a lot of relatively new ones. The 600 C was just released on Monday at NAB, which is the color version of the 600 D. Uh, so we got a lot to work with right around here. Okay, you know prices. Uh, prices for which one are we looking at? Well, I'm looking at just, just to compare maybe this one. Uh, comparing the 300, the old 300, which I guess is the one I have. I think I have the D1, uh, the 600, which is a brighter version of the 300. Yeah, yeah so exactly. So the price points for the 600D Pro is 1890, but they also have the 600D version, which is not Pro, which is right around the 1300 range. Don't quote me on that. Somewhere in that range. Um, and then the 949 for the 300D. And then we're looking at for the 1200D, $3,400. But again, that's the flagship, the bright light to be used on large productions. You do, uh, you aim some of these through windows to simulate sunlight? Yeah. So the 300D definitely, in a lot of case scenarios, will probably be great for going through windows. Granted, if you're battling sunlight that's already existing outside, you got to stop down the camera. That's when the 300D might not have the power for it. Coming over to the 600D, that's like 95% of the time is uh, definitely enough. There's just that one time when the 1200D is great for punching light through windows on bright days, especially if you're throwing it really far. Because as light travels, it's going to dissipate and weaken. So sometimes you'll need something a little bit stronger. Okay, so you've been at DP for how long? been at DP for about three or four years now. Um, definitely, I started with photo photography 12 years ago so i've definitely always had a camera in my hand i made a transition to video five or so five or six years ago and then it, as a dp and as learning about cinematography came around that's when i made that transition so have you used uh, old style tungsten type lights not too frequently i came around in a time when led really started booming so as my budget matched up with that LED, growing led budget i kind of rode that wave as it came so not too frequently i'm using any tungstens or hmis or anything like that so i came from the tungsten era so the fact that these even exist, that they're so lightweight, low power, you could power them by batteries even if you're not in a situation where you can plug in, is is pretty amazing. Uh, just that jump in technology. Yeah, and that's something that Ted, Sim, uh, as he created this, everybody said you can't do modular lighting, you can't do LED lighting. Like That just doesn't exist. It doesn't work that way. And now here we are seven, eight years later, 
and these are very integrated in the industry, very integrated in the YouTube content creator world, all through and through, and very much point proven that you can use them with LED, with modular lighting. Okay, tell me a little bit about your channel, some things that are interested, interesting about you and your career, and how you approach not only lighting, but maybe film gear, stuff like that. So I, I, I have a very creative kind of style, I guess, in a sense of I like to exaggerate whatever emotion or mood or feeling. So I tend to go towards really like playing with lighting and painting with light and adding it in. Um, so on my channel, I like to add or really uh, extend that in teaching form because I like to teach and I like to educate. YouTube is a fantastic resource. So that's kind of the direction I went to with my channel and say, well, there's a little me that was 13 years old that's fiending to learn everything that's out there. I want to be a resource for him or her that's out there. So that's where I really started that. And from there, I just really try to think of practical usage, not as much the tech side of things, but really how do I use this and why? The why is the important because I could say you're going to put this light through diffusion, put it through the window, blah, blah, blah. It's going to look like this. But if they don't know why, they can't apply it to their own workflow. So knowing the why, you put the hard light through because it creates a sunset feel. You soft light because it's more pleasing. That makes sense. When I'm on this shoot, I can do that, and it makes sense. Tell me, uh, tell me a little tip or trick that you use that anybody could do but doesn't really, don't really know too much about. Oh, boy. Lately, it may, it may not be the top one, but first one that came to mind. So we're going to go with that, the soft hob technique, which means, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I love using the combination of hard light and soft light. So say I've got a light on me. I'm the subject. It's sunset. If I put a hard sunlight on me, yeah, you get sunlight texture, but my face is probably going to you see shadows. It won't look pleasing. So I'll like to take a layer of diffusion in front of the light and just feather it. So now my face is going to be soft. You're going to have this nice wrap but then you get the hard light qualities across my face. And if you place it in a location somewhere right around the chest neckline, the viewer doesn't really often make that connection that it's hard light and soft light. So that's something that I really love to do. And how would you do that physically? So a lot of the times there's two different options for it. I've done the simpler term was where you've got one light source, a hard light coming at me. And then as it's coming at me, I just take a rag, like I took half grid rag, just a floating diffusion material, and just feather it down on a frame. So I just bring it up high, and then I start to bring it down and find out where this line is coming into place. And you can do that. Additionally, if you really want to control it, you can just flag off your one light source and then bring in a different light and then shape it softly on my face as well. So I've kind of done a little bit of both. I just feel out how much output I want, how much feather I can really get. So on your typical shoot what's the crew size how many people so i work a little bit more on you know smaller so anywhere from one man band to myself to 10 or 15 people uh not too frequently am i on sets with 30 plus crew larger scale things as of right now obviously things change but that's kind of where i'm at where the good chunk of my experience and learning has come from have you noticed a reduction in the crew size see uh, since i started at a point that was coming up close to the whole 2020 COVID restriction and change of everything. As I grew, it's not like I was already in on very large sets too frequently before that, and then everything changed, and now we're in a completely different dynamic. So I can't completely attest to that myself. Well, what I've noticed is with the smaller lighting gear with the lower power requirements, it seems like you can get away with fewer people. Exactly. You don't need somebody out there manning everything. I can... The amount of times I throw these up all on my own, throw them on a stand, 
plug them into power, control it from my phone with the Sidus Link app. I've done so many shoots completely alone, and it's fine. What's typically, how long does it take you to set up? I usually try to keep set up as fast as possible, but me being a you know very critical individual, it takes a little bit longer. But really, the setup time for these aren't long. It's just a matter of dialing it in. So let's say, like, if it's just myself, I could get the shot up and camera running in, t- like, an hour from everything. Obviously, if that's very subjective. Everything, everything is different. So say I've just got a key light, it's going to take me a minute. They're very quick lights to put up. But if I'm really massaging and painting in where I want these lights... It's going to take a little bit longer, and then I'm just going to be too critical, probably hate it, probably scream, run in circles, and then fix it. And then we're good to go four and a half hours later. <laughs> do, you, do you feel pressure when it's taking a while because you're a perfectionist? Yeah, I think I do. Um, I always have that weight on my shoulders of like, all right, people are waiting on me. There's always this massaging balance of perfection and efficiency. So sometimes I do feel pressure. Sometimes things fall into place, and I'm like, things work. But you know that happens half a percent of the time. Okay. Tell me, the, if you can, the worst disaster story that you could think of. <sighs> See, I know it's a good thing because nothing came to mind. So, <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, or near disaster. It may, it may be something just as simple as power dying. Just me not planning. And I had one shoot where I was like, yeah, a couple of VMATs will be great. They didn't last long at all. I did not anticipate that. So then you've got to improvise and figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to shut lights off? Are you going to cut lights? Whatever. So I don't have any crazy disaster stories. I did have a light fall, a tube light fall. Nobody got hurt. But bringing it up on the stand, I should have secured it prior to bringing it up because it just bounced out of its little jaw clamps. No one got hurt, but you don't like lights falling on set. That's that's pretty mild. Well, anyway, it's been wonderful talking with you. I love the perspective being a pro and also talking about these this new gear. And I'll be looking for your channel. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here, and it was great talking with you. Keith Murrow signing off for Tech Move. It's Tech Move in NEB 2022 and our continuing coverage, where that was Brady Bissett from Aperture as well as our very own Keith Moreau, uh, who was able to dive in on a lot of stuff that is Aperture. So what did you think? You know, we've we've interviewed Mm -hmm. Brady and Aperture Mm -hmm. before. um, And, you know, they're always great guests to have uh, on the podcast. Uh, What was your overall uh, thought of, of the interview? Oh, I thought it was really good. Um, I wasn't that familiar, that familiar, that, that Aperture had come out with. I think one of the companies that did actually wait for NAB to announce stuff was Aperture. And they came out with some pretty amazing things. So um, they're now, so they used to have these really super bright um, chip on chip on board, COB, I think it's called. Uh, basically, it's just a huge LED chip that puts out a lot of light. You know, it's like a couple inches okay. on diameter. And so the lights that I, some of the right. bright lights that I have are the 300D, and the 600D, I think. Um, since then, there's been the 600D Pro, and then the I believe there's a 1200. And so they're um, they're they're not, they're starting to put color chips as well as well as so they just had a, a regular like white white light chip in the past. That's what I have. So you yep. have to put gels on it or whatever yep. if you want to change the color. Um, it's great for daylight, but if you need any other type of temperature you have to temperature you have to temperature fine but it's still a little extra trouble now you can just dial in whatever color you want you know if you want to have sunset color or or 
you know, a tungsten or cloudy day color or whatever, you just you just dial it in. It's all electronic now. You don't even need gels anymore. And it looks from what good. I could see. It's hard to it's hard to yeah. it, but I believe that they're pretty good. They they have a lot of great specs, like really amazing specs. So I believe they're specs. Yeah. And they really are the leaders of that kind of thing too. So, you know, I I, I would imagine that they've done their homework and they've done a lot of quality testing and stuff. So it's probably I think so. I haven't great. I haven't watched a, too many reviews on their products, but um I know that they are pretty truthful about what they do and I if I was in the need for a a color light, I probably would just immediately buy it. They're not cheap. You know, like the yeah, the yeah. Oh, the right. Lightstorm the LS600C is like 2500 bucks, you know. So it's not a cheap light, but it's also a super powerful right. light and it's color. You know, so it can save you a lot yep. of time. You know, instead of just you know having to like put a gel in and check it and unclip the gel and you know do all the stuff to it, you just dial it in and it dial it in and it dial it of time and very versatile. Yep. So it's it's pretty cool. I'm going to be doing some shoots in the next few days and i'm just going to bring my aperture lights and just with a nice big softbox in front of them and very simple to set up and super bright yeah fantastic yeah. that's great great all right well hey uh again thanks to brady Bissett from aperture thanks mm-hmm. to you keith uh for getting us that interview uh let's take a break and let's wrap up uh, today's show uh, right after this break, where we're, you're listening to NEB 2022 coverage right here on Tech Move. Welcome back to Tech Move and the NEB 2022 special. Rod Louie and Keith Moreau with you. And Keith was able to secure a interview with the fine folks over at Black Magic. And for selfish reasons, I asked Keith to get a interview with regards to DaVinci Resolve 18, which is the latest and greatest of Resolve. And uh, I personally am running Resolve 17 right now and have not upgraded to 18. So I'm excited to kind of hear about what Keith finds out. Uh, from the rep over at Black Magic, Keith. Thank you so much for uh, talking to them uh, for me and our fine listeners. Uh, was this a fairly easy uh, interview to get from these folks? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty easy to get. Uh, I just went to the back, talked to the press person, and was set up within about ten minutes. That's and, cool. Uh, yeah, and it was the guy was really really nice. Um, after the interview, I can just kind of talk to you about how the difference between Black Magic interviews and other companies that I've noticed. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. that that'll be great. That'll be great. Uh, w- one other thing, I I know that our interview kind of deals with a lot of DaVinci Resolve eighteen, yes. mm-hmm. but what about the hardware aspect of Black Magic, which is oftentimes really huge during NAB shows. Yeah, they had a ton of setup there. Um, they have, it was actually kind of the same setup they've had for several years. Okay. Um, but, uh, and they, so they have a bunch of cameras lined up um, and kind of shooting a scene, uh, like really colorful, beautiful kind of set. And people can, and they're all on tripods with nice heads on them and they can uh, pan, <laughs> pan, pan, uh, and play with them and 
and then there's usually reps in that area to kind of talk about the cameras. Um, this time I didn't really have time to go to that area. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't heard any pre-show news about new announcements. I think they might've come out with a new, like a regular Ursa camera, maybe an 8k, but let me just see if I'm just going to do like a second, um, uh, just research. Yeah, well, that's very interesting that they have the booth set up where, like, and I always think that's a great idea to have booths up there set up for you to try some of the equipment and stuff. So yeah. I'm actually pleased to hear that there's a nice set and all this kind of stuff. But if there's no real huge news for any type of new cameras or, you know, anything, or they're really just updates or whatever. Um, th- that's a little bit disappointing. I think they, uh, it's, yeah. Yes. So I just, I just did a little research cause I kind of heard about it in the background. I didn't go to that camera, but I guess they have a 12 K Ursa now. So, Ooh, yeah. Nice. So if you have, you know, tons of storage space and you have, you know, really heavy duty tripod cause they're super big and heavy. Um, Oh, are they really? Well, you know, the Ursa is just in general, they're just built like tanks yep. and, and yep. they're, they're pretty big and heavy. I actually have one. I have a 4k though. Okay, but it's an older one, and they pretty much haven't changed the design at all. It's kind of a, it's a, I feel it's a little bit of a strange design, but, um, but it's really cool that they have a 12K, because then you could just you don't have to have any multiple cameras. You just have a 12K, and then you can take slices out and just blow them up and have like a five person interview with just one camera. <laughs> right, right, so, and really, uh, really punch in when you want to. Yeah, so it probably should have maybe gone there and tried to interview somebody, but I was just running out of time. So I, so I said for that particular area. Yeah. No, so, I, 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 you know, again, over the past year, since we've uh, not recorded, not a whole lot has been announced. I mean, there's been stuff here and there, right. Yeah. But there's nothing really that's been, you know, what the DJI Ronin was probably the, weirdest thing or biggest thing, whichever way you want to look at it. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, over the time that we weren't recording seemed to be, that seemed to be the most major thing that I had heard of. Or, yeah. But, There's been know. a, I, for, for me, I think the biggest thing was the a seven S three, which yep, I actually I, got, sure. um, which I think is just marvelous camera. And we should talk about it a little bit, but, um, yeah, but in just in general, there wasn't anything earth shattering or groundbreaking. The only thing, is that now it seems like it's okay to put 10-bit recording into smaller cameras, smaller, less expensive cameras. That part is cool. And being on board, right? On board recording. Yeah, on board, yeah, 10-bit yeah, recording. And that's yeah. that's kind of emerged in the last, since COVID. Now yeah. it seems like everybody's got that. First it was just the GH5, and then yeah. and then Sony did, did it with the A7S three, and then they're coming out with, they're putting it in all their new A7S cameras. Uh, a7 cameras uh like the whatever the latest version is right. like uh a, a7r4s and the a7r4s are have 10 bit video recording on them now so anyway th- so that's, that's one cool. thing yeah that's yeah. one thing that's that's gotten a little bit better in the last three years <laughs> yeah yeah well let, let's do this let's let's get to uh black magic and specifically davinci resolve 18 okay uh you were able to speak to a gentleman by the name of simon hall who mm-hmm. is representing the company and so let's talk to simon who's being talked to by the great keith moreau on behalf of tech move at nab 2022 
Test, test, test. Not too loud, right? Okay. Okay. So we're going to... Maybe you can go back slightly. Yep. Yep. And we, got, we have a good view of the... Okay. So we're actually recording now, right? Okay. We're both equidistant. Hi, this is Keith Moreau from TechMove. We've got time... Sorry. <laughs> Let's start over. <clears throat> Simon... I was like clearing my throat. <clears> throat> <laughs> this is going to be edited, by the way, so... That's <laughs> good. Hi, this is Keith Moreau from TechMove. We've got Simon Hall of Blackmagic here to talk about Resolve 18. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, yeah, so Resolve 18, there's lots of kind of really cool new features. We've done a lot of work in the, in the color page, and there's some real headline features in there that kind of defy logic, really. Um, one thing we've done is something called the Object Mask. So what the object mask will allow you to do is just with a single stroke, it will allow you to select an object and mask it out so you could grade it separately. And what we've done is we've tried it on all sorts of things. So, you know, on this, we've tried it on a man riding a bike and a man on a horse and a car driving and flame. And so it's amazing. So, you know, if you are doing a commercial and you nearly need to pick out your product from the background, you can just draw an object mask around it just sort of the contrast so it really pops out from the screen and everything else can stay quite muted Um, along with that we've done something called a depth map and again uh, like the object mask it uses resolves AI it uses the neural engine and what the depth map will do is it will basically decide in your image sort of what's in the foreground and what's in the background you can adjust it further yourself Um, but the amazing thing with this is is you know if you've got a shot and you want to try and cheat depth of field because you don't you know you don't have it in the shot what the depth map will allow you to do is sort of keep everything in the foreground in focus and then you can apply a blur to the background and then kind of get it to merge between the two so i mean they're kind of sort of two of the new features that i said absolutely mind-blowing so that sounds really cool i'm going to interrupt you a sec for a second so to me when you talk about this and doing drawing masks and things like to me and i've done this in the past with various editing software and other other effects software it's very tedious. It's rotoscoping, drawing, clicking a lot of dots, doing busy curves. and So explain, is there anything different about this process? Oh, this, it's massively different because, as you say, if you had to mask something off before, as you say, you have to draw Bezier curves. Resolve's always had a great tracker in it. You know, the cloud tracker would be able to track anything. But then, obviously, if you had things come in front of your mask if you had something difficult to track like or mask like a horse where you've got sort of four legs that kind of cross each other you'd spend quite a quite a long time trying to roto that whereas the object mask is literally you can just draw a line and it will select the horse even if it doesn't quite get everything you can just drag additional lines so i found that sort of trying to rotoscope sort of complex shapes that might take me like 30 minutes with the object mask, it takes me about two minutes. So it's massively, massively time-saving for colorists that, you know, they don't really want to roto, but they do need to separate things in an image. So, yeah, it's, it's hugely time-saving. That's great. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is your optimization with the new architecture, the new hardware and the Mac products. The, uh, M- the M1 products. I'm actually going to be getting one of those soon, so I'm kind of excited about that. Are you, are you prepared to talk a little bit about that? Um, I can do. I mean, as I said, I'm not an Apple expert, but um, yeah, we've used the M1 machines before, and, and Resolve, um, you know, we've always processed things through the GPU, uh, but we process some things through the GPU, uh, sorry, through the CPU. 
So it's great to have that unified memory. So if you want to use CPU, it'll send the memory one way, and then the GPU will send the memory the other way. Um, so again, how it uses its resources is really beneficial for Resolve. Um, but then also, obviously, the new M1 machines have a neural engine processor. So it has a processor specifically for AI, and DaVinci Resolve has a neural engine processor in it. So things like the object map, object mask and the depth map use that AI. So on M1 machines, they have a natural acceleration because you have a processor processing those effects. So the speed increase is, is again, quite incredible. One of the things I've noticed just in looking at some of the reviews of speed, I'm just obsessed with how fast I can get things to work. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that's... I've actually used a competitor's editing software in the past. Yeah. That's my main go-to thing. And I'm starting to get kind of sick of how slow it is. Okay. <laughs> and, and I know that DaVinci Resolve is very quick. I actually use it a lot of times for processing uh, Blackmagic footage and, and other effects because it's so much faster. Yeah. Um, but my only concern is how's the transition going to be from another NLE to Resolve? I think for editing, it's a relatively straightforward transition because again if again I can show you if I just click on this and open up the edit interface you can see the interface is quite similar compared to other editing systems um, I used I've used an array of editors I started out using Final Cut Pro 2 the old version which shows my age um, um, and then said I've, I've, I've used Premiere as you've Avid I've used Final Cut 10 and you know sort of when before I even worked for Blackmagic when they introduced the edit page in Resolve 11 even in there sort of getting into it it became quite familiar obviously there's been I think eight different versions from then um, and the editor now is just so slick so efficient I think for most people the translation of skills is not that difficult sort of how you edit I mean again if you use keyboard shortcuts so your muscle memory is specific um, you can change the keyboard shortcuts to something that you're more used to. But I think the fundamentals of editing, I think I would say is, you know, if you've used a competitor, if you give yourself maybe a couple of days, I think after a couple of days, it'll become sort of second nature to you. I don't think it's a huge jump to move from one application to the other. Okay, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it, a, I'm going to work on it for a couple weeks. Just, I'm not even going to use this other software. I'm going to use your software, and I'll get back to you. Okay, no worries. And again, if you know, if you want some help with this, if you take a look at our website, there's a load of videos on there um, to help you get started. We also have some training manuals uh, that are free to download with some content. So again, at any point, if you're kind of going, ah, how do I do this? You can just quickly download the PDF, give it a search. Said we've got footage on there as well. I'm sure you got your own footage. But again, if you want to give that a try, it's all on the website and it's it's all for free. There's no cost in that. That's great. Okay, so you talked about the the masking, yes. which is a great feature um, of the of the new software. Um, talk. Talk about some of the other features that you particularly like in this new version. Um, th there's quite a few. I mean, the one important thing, it's, it's maybe not the sexiest thing in the world, but it's multi-layer subtitles. So um, 
you know, before what we had is we just had single-layer subtitles. Um, but obviously, if you're doing audio description, so if you've got you and I talking in a scene and we're talking together and audio description, what you really need is these kind of multi-layered subtitles. So we've in, we've enabled that in Resolve 18 now. And I said, it, it's kind of said maybe not a headline thing, but it's so important for so many people and, you know, people doing versioning in different languages. So that, for me, is kind of a really important thing. Um, one of the other things I like uh, is we've got a new despill filter and it's just a really really quick so if you've done some green screen and you've got some spill light you can just throw the despill on the colour page and it's really good so if I've got a subject I don't maybe have to grade them I can just throw the despill on and it gets a pretty good result straight away that I can then start grading so for me that's a kind of really quick five seconds throw the despill on it gets me very close to the result that I'm looking for. So again, it saves me time, means I can go home at the end of the day. Are you prepared to show us a little bit of the keying and the despilling? Um, I can do. <laughs> the one thing I say is these machines aren't the most powerful machines in the world, so okay. it may be a little bit slow. So, okay. We could edit that and, make, and speed it up if you we want to. Speed it up. Okay, <laughs> okay. We, we, we could do that. So yeah, I mean, I, um, I think... I uh, did a little preempting of this. So, as you can see, what I've done here is with the object mask, I need to do the object mask. So, what I will do is I will add a node in here. And as you can see, in my interface now, I have an object mask tool. So, what I'm going to do is, again, don't need to roto this out. What I can simply do is sort of draw a line. If I turn on my overlay, See my machine. As you can see, I get sort of a red outline around the person to say it's showing me this is what is masked. Now what I can do is if I do a track forwards, again, I won't said this machine, it'll take a little bit of time again, because this is a neural engine process, uh, and these machines only have 16 giga unified memory, so they, they need a little bit more memory in, but we can get the idea just from a, a sort of quick track in here. So as you can see, it is tracking through. Okay, I'll just stop that. So again, you can see it's done a little bit of tracking in there. So in essence, what I've got now is I've got, as you can see, I just drew one stroke. So now what I'd really like to do is maybe um, punch up the cyclist. So normally what I would do with this is I would add a node... Uh, and I can pipe the mask information from node 2 into node 3 and then using my curves I can maybe just as you can see I can just adjust the contrast on here quite easily so I can sort of make my cyclist stand out from the background uh, and then again if I add what we call an outside node which will reverse the mat I can dial the contrast of the background Back. So you can see I can really get that to stand out. And as you can see, if I um, just go into my object mask, you can see I've not had to rotate. Whoops, just zoomed in a little bit. As you can see, I've not had to rotate that. It's done it all automatically. So you can imagine just how time-saving that is. Can you feather the mask? Absolutely. So within these controls in here, I've got a better option. Um, so again, you can go into better, I can feather this, I can tweak the mask. Again, if I'll just show you an example here of... Um, just show you an example here. That 
you know, if you have an area, sort of a big area, like a pitch like this, I can obviously do the object mask. Uh, and then, as you can see, it sort of doesn't quite pick up what it really needs to. So again, I can add bits to it. So I can add bits to the mask itself. And then, so anything that's red that's selected. And then, if again, if I want to try and take something away... Oopsie, sorry, I'm, I keep hitting the magic mouse. So again, if I want to try and get rid of things, I can do that. But again, you can use it with your kind of other power windows. So, for example, instead of me trying to chase the sky with this, what I can actually do is just put, you know, a rectangular power window over the sky. I'm just going to invert that. So now you can see where the object mask is just doing the pitch so again you can use it with things and as I said the objects it picks it can do hair it can do cars it can do absolutely well we, we're telling people is give it a try see what objects it will pick up that's awesome uh, tell me some of the other things you're excited about maybe we can demo some of those other things you're excited about um, I said the we've got um, I'm not quite sure about the project um, but said the subtitles uh, again, we've got quite a lot of stuff in Fusion because the depth map is put into Fusion. And mainly, I'm possibly not the best person to speak about that. Matt, my colleague, is, is the best. And it's the same with Fairlight. We've done a lot around Fairlight uh, about the ability to drop uh, timelines into timelines. So if you've done mixes, you can sort of drop one mix into another mix, which, you know, for audio software is sort of unheard of. Again, my colleague Mary is the Fairlight expert, um, but she's sort of, yeah, she'd be the best person to speak to. But said we, again, if people want to do this, we've got release notes that list all the new features in Resolve. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and obviously linked with the Cloud Store and Blackmagic Cloud. You know, it's, it's very exciting times at the moment. Are you prepared to talk about the cloud? Is that okay? My, since you're mentioning it, I personally, I'm not as interested in the cloud stuff because it's it's for collaboration, correct? It is. It is. Well, not strictly for collaboration. If you wanted to kind of maybe have a backup of your projects in a cloud, you could easily do that. Um, but yeah, ideally, it's designed for collaboration because obviously, um, you know, with the life that we've all led for the last two years people were working remotely and what Resolve has had for a long time is the ability to collaborate and with Resolve it's true collaboration you can have multiple editors audio engineers colorists visual effects artists all working in the same project at the same time admittedly editors you can't edit the same timeline at the same time but you know it's great so what an editor can do is build an edit and then the VFX guy can go I'll oh, just flag the shots that you need the VFX stuff on he goes into fusion the editor can carry on working but then at the same time the editors you know the supervisor's gone colorists start grading editor you make the changes so it's all happening at the same time so and now what we've done is obviously that can now sit in the black magic cloud so these people don't have to sort of they can look at the same project at the same time but it just sits in the black magic cloud so they can be anywhere in the world and then sorry and then obviously that got us thinking is well the project doesn't contain any media so what do you do about media? Now, again, with the Blackmagic Cloud, you can, if you know, if people have been working collaboratively and they share their media simply through, like, Google Drive, for example, um, they can carry on working that way. Um, but what we did is we introduced Cloud Store. 
Now, cloud store is a very straightforward SAN system. It's a network hard drive. It's not tied into Resolve. You can actually use it with any system. So, you know, you plug it into your network. It's got four 10 gig ports on the back uh, and you can just sort of plug it into the network. So if you've got multiple users in one facility, you all just hook in and away you go. The clever bit about cloud store is you can sign into Dropbox with it. So um, what you can have is a Dropbox folder in Dropbox somewhere in their cloud uh, and then when you load files onto our, our cloud store it will upload the files to Dropbox if somebody else has a cloud store somewhere else in the world and they're looking at the, they're signed in to the same Dropbox account and can see the same folder any files that aren't stored on the Blackmagic cloud store it'll automatically download from Dropbox so in essence what you're getting is incredibly powerful network drives so they are NVMe N2 storage so they're incredibly fast SSDs so you can max out the 10 gig 10 gigabits per second speed um, but also as well they sync up so you can have two drives on you know one here in Vegas one in New York and if I'm here in Vegas and I load some files on it'll automatically download them in New York and so yeah we've we've sort of thought about where the projects sit but also how you can handle media as well so I assume there's no subscription fees it's, it's mostly having your hardware at the local system and then interacting with the cloud for downloading. Yes. So obviously for media, the fee would obviously you need a Dropbox account. Uh, for Blackmagic Cloud, um, to share your project library, it is a $5 a month fee. But just to clarify with that is if you want to set up a project library and collaborate with everybody, if you set up the project library, you pay the $5 and then you just invite everybody else to join. They don't have to pay the $5, it's just you. Also, it's not a subscription model. So at any point, if any user goes, because we're a company that you probably get is we don't like to ring fence people. So at any point, if you decide that you don't like to... Um, or you don't want to use the the Blackmagic Cloud anymore, you want your projects out of it, very simply in Resolve, you can simply say, right, copy my project library from the cloud onto my local system, and you can just copy it down, and then you don't have to pay next month. So it's, yes, you have to pay for the service, but it's not a subscription model. You can drop off the payment at any point. You mentioned the... Um the SAN or NAS device that you have that you that you've just come out with. What if you have your own non uh, non Black Magic NAS box? Okay. Does it interact with that? Um, no, it's it's just a it's just a basic SAN system. If you've got your own storage or your own network storage, then yes, it can interact with it because, admittedly, you know you can plug it into your network and it just appears like a hard drive. But any kind of syncing, any talking between the two boxes, it doesn't do that. So I'm just want to give you a scenario. Suppose I already have a NAS or SAN connected to a lo my local network yes. in in my office. But I don't necessarily want to invest in the Blackmagic hardware, yeah. SAN or NAS hardware. What could I do with that system? Oh, you can you can carry on using it. You know, if you've got a shared system in your your studio, um, Resolve will just see it as a hard drive. So you can absolutely carry on um, using that device, and you all hooking in your machines to that and sharing it. So yeah, Resolve will use 
any SAN or NAS system. Again, we have integration with some NAS systems like Edit Share and SNS because we've got panels that actually open with Resolve to interact with those systems. But yeah, you know, if, if you are using your own NAS system on your network, Resolve will just see it as a hard drive and you can import material into it without a problem. Okay. I'm not sure if I 100% get it, but some of the viewers out there might. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, if, you know, if, if people need more information, obviously they can see it on our website. Um, again, if you go into the company, there's a list of offices around the world where people can actually, you know, if you've got any more questions, you can always email into one of those offices, and I'm sure there's somebody who will be willing to help. I wanted to ask you, you have a really interesting accent. Tell me where that comes from okay my accent is really really weird um so so my it's it's really weird so i'm from yorkshire so in the uk yorkshire is a very very kind of broad accent um but weirdly i grew up in south africa so my dad was in the mining industry so i grew up in south africa and then i when we moved back to the uk um we lived in sheffield which was sort of less broad an accent um, and then, you know, I, I sort of lived for quite a long time in London, and now we live in a place in Cheshire, which is close to Manchester. That doesn't it doesn't really have the Man- Mancunian accent. It's kind of a very so yeah. My my accent is kind of a mishmash of of different things from around the world. And again, when I'm speaking properly, it come it comes out more. <laughs> Well, it's been lovely uh, interacting with you. Thanks for explaining all the different uh, software and, and devices you have. Um, this is Keith Moreau with TechMove interviewing Simon Hall of Blackmagic. Signing off for now. Thank you. Welcome back to Tech Move and the great interview that Keith Moreau was able to have with Simon Hall over at Blackmagic during our NAB 2022 coverage. Keith, really interesting uh, DaVinci Resolve. Uh, I, I, I think I'm convinced. I think I'm going to 18. What do you think? Uh, going to 18, yeah. I think you should go to 18, and and then hopefully it won't crash. <laughs> right. Um, um, I've um, heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah. No, I think it's fine. It's still beta, though, so things might not be totally stable. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I think that you know there's some incremental new features that probably works it's probably more optimized for M1s so you probably get better performance in certain situations. What's really interesting is is a lot of people are reporting that the that the Blackmagic um the DaVinci Resolve software is actually faster than Apple's fun Apple's fun Apple, even the latest release the latest release the latest they've actually optimized their software more than Apple. You know, I, I, I've heard the exact same thing yeah. and it's, it's really great to hear that, right? That, uh, <laughs> that, so that black magic's thing is, is so, is performing so well on yeah. M1 max yeah. that, uh, I, I guess final cut's going to have to kind of catch up with things, huh? Yeah. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to, um, because at this point, I don't know if there's that much of a reason to use final cut. If you, yeah. if, um, I know it's really fast. The, the main thing before was like a four was like a four, uh, with, with Mac hardware. But now, now that DaVinci is faster than it and it's, I think more fully featured, I yeah. think, um, I think the only thing is maybe there's not as much plug in as much plug in as much like extra third party software, but that would be the only thing. Seems like it, uh, like uh, people who use resolve 
are really interested in the coloring aspect of it. Oh and, yeah, and, and and just how just how robust that feature is on its own that everyone just loves Resolve just for that. And and I I think uh, uh, filmmakers like yourself have have always had Resolve on their machine at least just to color. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've I mean I've I've used some of the coloring stuff and it's really awesome. And you know that software was originally super expensive to buy when it first came out. Um, and then, and then, uh, Blackmagic bought the company and then turned it into editing, full featured editing and, and effects software. So, um, yeah, it's really cool what Black, Blackmagic has done. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to trying to see if I can switch and if I can actually do it. And hopefully this new, um, Mac Studio will help me do that. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I think it, that's why I think that we should both. Uh, delve into the land of Resolve 18. Yeah. So I think that will be something that will be exciting. It'll be fun to talk about in yeah. the future. It will be. Yeah. It, it, especially when we can't find anything within the application that we wanted to do with it. So. Yeah, yeah. Searching for hours to do something super simple. That's always the frustrating thing. <laughs> God, I used to do this in, in like half a second, and now I've taken three hours to do the simplest thing. Right. <laughs> Well, that's great. Yeah. All right. Hey, th- thanks for securing Simon Hall of Black yep. Magic for, for us here. And uh, let's take a little break here and we'll come back with, I think, our final interview from NAB 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Rod and Keith coming at you from Tech Move. Welcome back to Tech Move and our 2022 NAB special. And we want to kick off this NAB celebration uh, with the first interview that Keith was able to secure. And this is with the good folks over at Panasonic, who I personally love and adore. So, Keith, I'm so happy you you met with the Panasonic folks. I know uh, solely for me because uh, of my uh, just my fanboy uh, love for Panasonic. <laughs> and, I, and I'm grateful for that. Yes. Did you guys talk about or even see and play around with the GH6? Yes, we saw it. We didn't really play around with it, but I got a huge pretty much the interview is all about the GH6. Nothing else, really. This is th- this is going to be so exciting for me. I, I I really I really can't wait to to hear this one. So, uh, what was it hard to get into the Panasonic booth uh, uh, for this particular one, or uh, just because you had been there like on day three and four or something? Well, it was pretty easy to secure an interview. It was relatively easy. Um, um, uh, I was setting up, and I actually talked to somebody about who to talk to, you know, they have these kind of designated people that talk to press, like not, in, not any Joe Schmo in the Panasonic booth is, I guess, authorized to talk to the press. They don't want, they don't let the guy from the geek squad at Best Buy <laughs> talk to you about the Panasonic GH6. They, they don't no. let that guy talk. Well, no, they, they mu- talk, th- those guys talk to me, you know, <laughs> no, the, no, the, no guy will, would not, would not talk. <laughs> Well, not, not qualified. Not qualified to do much, including whatever their job is. Just as an aside, I was helping this kind of friend um, hook up a. It's kind of cool. It's like a mirror. Okay, we're talking. We're totally off subject, but it's funny. Uh, 
this it was like this mirror this mirror that had a you could put a monitor inside it. So when the t- when the monitor is off or when the TV is off, it's like a mirror. Oh, okay. And then okay. and then when you turn the TV on, the light comes through. It's like a like a one way mirror. So the light comes through, and then you can use it as a TV. But just when it's on the wall, it doesn't look like a TV. It looks like a, kind, a mirror. It's kind of like those wall hanging uh, home gym things, like the tonal or uh, or or those uh, other um, exercise things. I, I guess I I, I don't yeah. You, I guess no, that's, sorry. No. <laughs> totally, totally <laughs> off topic, but you know what? That, that, but that, but, that, but anyway, fantastic. a Geek Squad person had put this in and mount, mounted it to the wall because it was pretty heavy. The mirror and everything and the yeah, monitor sure. inside it was heavy. Sure. So um, so I talked to the, the lady, my friend. Um, like They put it in the studs, right? Like this thing is solid, right? It's not going to like fall out. And they said, yeah, the Geek Squad guy said, we're going to – we're gonna, yeah, it's in the studs. It's really solid. So – Anyway, so uh, it was on. It had been on the wall already, mounted, but just the mirror part, not the monitor part. So I stuck. I helped her stuck stick in the monitor and hooked it up and stuff, and then it was all working and and everything was great. And then like about fifteen second, fifteen second, fifteen and admiring, it just like just just tore off the wall <laughs> and almost like smashed on my foot and cut my foot off. I was like, I dodged out of the way out of this careening mirror monitor. This did make the a, dust of... did, did, did make a horrific sound too. Did make a horrific. It just sound. like a big bash onto. <laughs> Luckily, it was carpet, um, and there so was just all this. Broke. Nothing broke. I don't think. I think the monitor. Well, yeah, the wall broke, but the right. monitor was good. I think we tested it, but yeah, there's just big gigantic. And they didn't. They didn't put in the studs. They just put it on drywall. This thing's like a hundred pounds. They just had That's... these little drywall anchors holding it in. <laughs> Well, and that's our endorsement for the Geek Squad, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, again, welcome to NEB 2022. So, no, the Geek Squad guy did not talk to me, and if he did, I would just, I would just run away. Right. Uh, but um, this other really nice person, um, rep from Penn, I was like, not the usual guy who was also there, but he wasn't there at that time. But I, but it was this other, this new person who you have the name of, um, yes. was was uh, really nice and interesting, and he was really knew a lot about this camera and the camera's pretty cool. I I'm excited to hear about it. So let, let's do this. Let's get off the, uh, geek squad train and, <laughs> and let's transfer over to the Panasonic, uh, jet fighter that we all know and love as the GH six. Let's talk to Sean Robinson of Panasonic who gets to talk with our very own man on the street, Keith Moreau, as we continue our coverage of NAB 2022. And uh, let's go ahead and turn over to Keith and Sean right here on Tech Move. So this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move. We've got Sean Robinson of Panasonic here, and he's going to explain all about the new GH6 and why it's a big step up from the GH5 and 5S. Hi, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, so we've got the brand new GH6 on display here at NAB, um, and there's a lot of really cool stuff about this for pretty much every aspect of how people had used the GH5. So photographers, there's a lot to love about this. Videographers, is a ton, and even all the way up into pro cinematographers. There's so much in this. Um, it's kind of starting right at the top. You know, it's brand new sensor, brand new processor, 25 megapixels, so we've had an increase in micro four thirds we finally broke that 20 megapixel barrier 
Um, and that affords us a ton of really um, unique things that we can do for the video side and also for the photography side. Um, namingly those is that we can do 5.8K open gate recording in the 4x3 aspect ratio. Uh, and actually during the show that's been one of the highlight things that a lot of people are starting to really latch on to this concept of um so just to just to clarify open gate i I know what it is but you can clarify to the viewers yeah so open gate recording basically means that uh unlike traditional recording with video cameras or photography cameras that are now used for video um, instead of recording in a 16 by 9 or a 17 by 9 aspect ratio and being locked into that ratio, you're using the entire area that the sensor in the camera is able to give you. So in our case with the GH6, it's a 4 by 3 aspect ratio sensor. So traditionally, you just crop out the, the top and bottom and you're not using them for image capture. So we looked at this and said, well... The anamorphic side, so the the higher-end productions where you want all those flares and all that fun stuff, they've been using that aspect ratio to capture. Well, we can throw a spherical lens, a standard lens on this, record that full area of the sensor that's available so that you can then just bring it into post and crop your, your framing later. In the pro side, we've done this forever where you know that you want to be able to stabilize the shot in post or you want to be able to shift your frame up and down. Now we're just really making a much bigger deal of it now with the GH6 because of the way the industry has changed. You know, in the pro side, they use it for very specific reasons, anamorphic, like I said, or pan scan, things like that. But in the non-cinema side, so... Uh, event photographer, uh, event videographers, real estate, commercial videography, filmmaking, things like that. It actually now becomes an incredibly useful tool for situations where the client is now asking you, "Hey, I want my nine by sixteen so I can put it on a display, but I also want a sixteen by uh, I did that backwards. I want a sixteen by nine for a horizontal display, but I also want a nine by sixteen crop because I want to use it for advertising on social platforms." I want to be able to do a 5 by 4 because I want to fill an Instagram feed with the content that we're shooting. Um, so what that what we did basically to support that is enable shooting open gate with a ton of different frame masks on the system. So you shoot it once, and now the deliverable that you have is higher resolution than 4K, so your 5.8K in the, the vertical and horizontal. Um so your vertical crops are no longer cropped out of a 16 by 9. It's surprising that it's taken this long for the mass uh, side of, of the industry to actually kind of think to shoot this way, since cinema's been shooting that way for a while. Uh, but yeah, we've just kind of dove head in on this to really just provide the best tool that we can for filmmakers um, of all levels. Um, on top of that, which obviously the 5.8K, you can tell I'm a little excited about it. Uh, on top of that, it's that we've added uh, 4K 120 native resolution in this camera. So you're getting actually 120 frames per second in 4K with focus and audio. Uh, you have full HD up to 240 frames per second in the camera. Again, native frame rates. Um, variable frame rate up to 300 frames per second. So you get pre-slowed down footage uh, in that area. Uh, we also add things like 48 frames per second in the camera. 
as a native codex. So all the wedding videographers and event videographers that want to shoot on a 24p timeline and have you know bits of uh, slow motion ramps done in it, you've got an actual true 48 frame for an actual 50% slowdown. Um, further than that, we also made it even better for production side. Um, we now have the ability to do internal ProRes recording, so 422HQ and 422. Uh, at launch, the camera does the uh, 5.7K at up to 30 frames per second. Uh, with firmware update that should be coming out shortly, we're going to be adding Full HD and DCI options. So you'll have a really solid mix of ProRes uh, support within this camera. Um, what else? We will be adding firmware update that brings a USB SSD recording. So knowing that CF Express cards are still a little pricey, uh, you'll have an option to go to the much more uh, cost-effective storage like an SSD uh, to record to. We're also adding 4K 120 frames per second video out over, US, uh, over HDMI and 4K raw data out over HDMI to like a Ninja 5 Plus if you want to work in the raw workflow. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane how much stuff is in this. Um, and that's not even talking about the new sensor design that's in here. Uh, we use a, new, a brand new sensor that uses a technology that we call Dynamic Range Boost which takes a single uh, frame or single image off the sensor, processes that image twice through a high gain and a low gain circuit, and combines them in real time up to 60 frames per second. And what we get out of that is an extra stop to a stop and a half of highlight dynamic range brought back in a camera. So even though we're going up higher in resolution, which typically is thought of as losing dynamic range and increasing noise, we're able to actually increase dynamic range by doing this um yeah so like so excited about this camera i'm so happy that it's finally out and we can be talking about it and showing people here at the show it's great so i have i i got the gh5 which i which i love i love the stabilization on it um it's almost gimbal like even just using it without a gimbal um and then i got the gh5s for the lower light mm -hmm. and um tell me if I get this, or if our, if our audience members consider this and they already have similar cameras like what mm -hmm. I have, um, what type of, what are they going to get more out of it than what they have now? Okay. Uh, yeah, so if you're coming from a GH5, that camera was rated at five stops of stabilization for the IBIS system. And we do have our dual IS system, so you carry uh, five stops out, a little more telephoto, if you're using our lenses. Uh, the GH6 has seven and a half stops now. So if you thought the GH5 was good at stabilization, this is in another league now. Um, so there's been huge improvements in that side. Um, if you're coming from a GH5S, uh, this is where it gets actually a little more, not complicated, but a little bit more of a, you know, you kind of want to really look and make a decision. Uh, the GH5S is still going to be better in low light in certain circumstances. It's lower resolution, larger pixels, so you get inherently more ability to capture light in lower light situations. But the GH6 has the benefit of shooting at a higher resolution and downsampling that image. So in, in most cases, it can negate the benefit you're getting from doing a lower resolution sensor um, because you're doing that in downscaling. Uh, when you start getting into the really high ISOs, like ridiculous high ISOs, like Sasquatch is over there and I want to capture it, um, that's where a GH5S is still going to give you a better looking image. 
Uh, but then the other trade-off there is GH5S does not have stabilization. This does. If you're working in a situation where the stabilizer is actually something that could be a negative for your deployment, so mounting it to a car or something like that, this may not be the best choice for that particular situation. That's where the GH5S or things like our BGH1 may be better options for you. But the point is with a lot of our cameras is that we're making alternatives in these categories so that you've got the right tool for the right job. You don't have to shoehorn a camera into your particular shooting style um, unless you really want to because you want the latest and greatest. I mean, the latest and greatest is awesome. Definitely go get the latest and greatest. But, you know, um, yeah. So between all three of them, it really just comes down to if you're a GH5 user and you want production uh uh, simplicity. You want to make it much easier as you're going through the entire production scale. The GH6 is the like the perfect camera for that. Uh, if you're a GH5S user and you want better low light, but you miss that down red, the down sampling that you get the sharper looking footage. You want maybe a stabilizer, then this is still a perfect camera for you. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. So so when I, my takeaway is it's a little more versatile. You're combining some of the features of both the older cameras plus a, be- a better resolution and probably better ergonomics. I'm noticing the um, LCD screen is a little more versatile. Yeah, so we listened to a ton of feedback from users about the very simple point of if I want to open my screen and I have a monitor attached or headphones, I can't rotate it any further than this. Uh, and when it's closed and like this is a small rig cage we have it set up as yeah you still have challenges here but what we did is we took the screen design from the s1h and put it in here so now i have full access to rotate have my my ability to like you know actually get a better stance if i'm trying to stay uh stand wow hold the camera steady uh but more on that we also have the ability to open the uh, back up and keep the actual screen in line with the sensor plane or with the image plane. So for users that having a screen out to the side has been kind of an annoyance, you now have your tilt. For those of us that are annoyed that have, you know, you're knocking into your ports here, we fix that too. Um, this also is what allows us to deploy our active cooling solution. So, like the GH uh, or the S1H, this is an actively cooled camera, so there is a fan built in here. Um, that's what allows us to do unlimited recording, and we test our cameras up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And if they can hit that and unlimited record and not stop on you, they get the badge of approval of unlimited recording. Um, and on top of that, also, it's still fully weather resistant. So, even though we have an active cooling solution in here, we don't compromise reliability just to be able to hit an unlimited recording thing. You take this camera out pretty much anywhere in the world and you're going to be perfectly fine with it. It's going to just work like a tank, like the original GH5s have been doing for going on six years now. Something like that. Great stuff. Uh, so when this came out, I wasn't super excited about it because I thought, well, what's what's different about from the cameras I already have? And also, to be honest with you, I have other brand cameras mm-hmm. and you know, the, the the full frame versions of those cameras have been out for a while, and so I have a, a kind of a, a a lot of different brands. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah. and and so what I, but I do like the GH, the Micro Four Third series, for the fact that you can have a much smaller package and get better telephoto 
uh, performance out of it. Maybe you can you can explain from your point of view what the advantage of that is. Yeah, so uh, there there's that side of it where if you're someone who needs to be able to shoot much longer distances, you want further reach for your field of view. Micro Four Thirds inherently, because the sensor is um, it's a quarter of the size of full frame, which means it's a two times crop. You c- you have the ability to have lenses like a one hundred to four hundred that are only this big, which yeah, which in thirty five millimeter field of view is a two hundred to eight hundred, right? Right. Yeah, I did my math right. It's been a long show. <laughs> um, so that's two hundred eight hundred millimeter field of view. So that's ridiculously long reach. And the, and, the, and the lenses on those full-frame cameras are like, <laughs> they're huge. Yeah, and the big difference there is that a lens this big that weighs, you know, maybe like a pound to a pound and a half versus a lens that's weighing like 13 pounds to do the same amount of reach and typically the same aperture values or roughly about the same depth of field values, you're, you're in a kit that you can actually now legitimately just carry in a side bag or a backpack. <laughs> Um, but there's also other benefits, too, with the smaller sensor and, and working in this. So in a number of situations where you're filming, even though there's the trend online now to be doing everything in ultra-shallow depth of field, a lot of times if you're doing corporate work or um, you know, you, you're know a, a, a one-person operation, you also want to be able to know, like, all right, I'm doing a talking heads piece. I want to make sure that my subject is in focus from here to just behind the back of the head or just, you know, in front and back because that person tends to sway. Well, Micro Four Thirds is one of those systems that means that I can shoot that at f2.8, have the depth of field equivalent of f4, which is my my normal here, and shoot at a lower ISO. So when I go to full frame to do that, I have to gain up my system to shoot at f4 to get the same general look out of the image. And... Those systems, the lenses, the cameras, the cameras themselves have gotten smaller. I mean, our S5 is also about, is actually a little bit smaller than the GH6. Um, so the trade-off there being that your kit now becomes much bigger. So which is it that you end up really wanting to do? So the, the Micro Four Thirds platform really just gives you tons of that flexibility to put it in scenarios that fit best for your style. And that's not even scratching the point that Micro Four Thirds is a system that sensors read out faster, so less rolling shutter. Um, The the cool stuff like the open gate, that when you get into full frame, rolling shutter becomes a more apparent apparent issue. Um, Yeah, it's... One of the most adaptable lens mounts in the in the industry. So you know, you, you need something. A Micro Four Thirds camera like the GH6 is going to be able to fit the fit it and be the tool for you. Great stuff. Okay, so you mentioned one thing, talking about depth of field, etc., mm-hmm. and talking about focusing. Mm-hmm. So um, focusing on on a plethora of cameras, autofocusing mm-hmm. has become. In the past, it was like, oh, pros don't use autofocus. But now it's almost like pros are starting to appreciate autofocus because it makes their job a little bit easier. So tell me about some of the autofocus features of this. In my opinion, it was one of the drawbacks compared to some of the other brands. Maybe it's improved or maybe there's still some considerations. So talk a little bit about autofocus on the new cameras. Yeah, sure. So the GH6 is still using the depth from defocus. So it's our DFD system. Um, It is a contrast-based system. And that was a very deliberate choice with the GH6. Um, when we launched this camera, my counterpart, uh, Matt Fraser and I did, did uh, address this at the launch that, um, 
we understand everyone wants face in the cameras. Um, we that's not falling on deaf ears, um, and it is being investigated. Um, our teams are looking at how to deploy phase detect into the cameras, whether or not it's something that's viable with our image quality targets, uh, and then you know kind of moving from there. The biggest thing right now is, and the reason this camera doesn't have it is one. Camera development starts typically right around the time when the previous model is released. So this camera's been in development for a very long time. Uh, we're using an incredibly unique sensor in this camera. Totally brand new, totally new Venus engine processor that we use. Um, and the decision had to be made basically that our image, image quality targets, our dynamic range targets, our color science, the, just the way our image looks, can it be done with phase detect pixels on the sensor? or do they cause negative impact to image quality? And our decision at that time was, we want the image quality. That's our target for this. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. It is being evaluated. We are looking at phase detect into cameras. Does it make sense? Can we do it? Will it meet what our expectations are for a product? Um, so yeah, it, it really at that point, it's about the feedback from users. Um, the more we get feedback from everybody, but constructive feedback, not just put phase in it, you know. Yeah, like, there, phase has its own challenges and its own negatives as well. Um, I would assume that the phase detect requires the pixels to be of a certain quality and certain size. Uh, maybe because you have to have a couple pixels. I don't know the exact technology, but I think it's because you have a couple pixels per pixel site. And, th and when, when everything's shrinking down, it becomes more complex to get the same image quality. That's just my thought. Yeah, I, I mean, with, with any phase array that gets put on a sensor, it has to be masked out from the image because those pixels are not capturing image data. So the more pixels you put in there, the more processing you have to do to mask them out. I like using the, uh, the analogy of if you open up Photoshop and use content-aware to remove something from a frame, sometimes it looks great, sometimes it looks like the worst thing you've ever seen similar kind of concept. You have to be able to get rid of them and have image data there. And there, it's a destructive process in the image pipeline. Um, and I'm not, not to make excuses as to why it's not done, but the current deployments are not up to what our image quality standards are. So until we can come to a solution that does that, you know, we're working with the phase, uh, or with, not phase, with the uh, DFD system in here. But that being said, compared to a GH5, if you're coming from an original GH5, this is light years ahead of the original GH5. So I'm going to get better autofocus out of the GH6. Correct. Now, our system does take time to learn. Uh, we have posted guides online that you know explain what the menu options do, how the AF custom settings work for tweaking things like sensitivity and speed and motion prediction and stuff, depending on the way you're using the camera. So we have tons of resources that we have released out there to kind of help users understand how the system works, what the settings do. Um, but what I can tell you is that for a number of styles of shooting, the AF, the AF in this camera is vastly improved compared to our own cameras. Got it. Um, we won't make comments about, you know, compared to others. Uh, we let all of you make those decisions. So, Well, this is great. Okay, so now we're going to go to the the Sean side of the interview. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice some of the interesting tattoos you have. Uh, yes. Talk about them. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I come from a photo background. I went to college for photography, uh, studio photography. 
Uh, and I've just loved the industry forever. Uh, and when I had the opportunity, because a cousin of mine was a, a tattoo artist, I could get free tattoos. Um, you know, I want I decided to do a lot of photo and film oriented uh, stuff. So, you know, aperture and film because you know you got to love film if you're really in this industry. Not 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 really. If 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 you're starting now and you never shot on film, that's cool. Um, so yeah, aperture and film, and then I love the the engineering designs between optics. So what is actually, you know, how these lenses are constructed, what makes up the different elements in the groups. So uh, knowing that one, which makes this even crazier, um, that I've been able to see these optics designs and they're available online. You can see them. Uh, these are actually our Leica design co-branded lenses that Lumix makes. So these aren't just generic lens designs. Um, so this is the 42.5 Noctocron. Uh, I may get these wrong because it's been a little while. Um, this is either the 42.5 Noctocron or the 12mm Sumalux. This is 100%. This is the 15mm Sumalux. And then this is the... I'm fairly certain this is the 12mm 1.4 Sumalux. Um, and, yeah, they're just... They're, they're my favorite focal lengths that I work with. Um, whether I'm in the Micro Four Thirds or I'm shooting in full frame, I typically like shooting at like a 24, a 30, 35, or an 85mm. And, yeah, I just loved the way they look. And, you know, they're conversation starters. I like talking to people. So when I get someone that comes up and says, hey, is that like a deconstructed hamburger? <laughs> you know, it, it, it ends up, like, being a really cool conversation. And, and, you know, people don't really necessarily know what they are. Or I get, is that shawarma or shish kebabs and all that stuff? And it's like, no, they're lenses. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun stuff. You know, I love this industry and I love doing what I can to support it. And I show it every day. That's really cool. I think that's a good uh, time to end the interview. So thanks a lot, Sean, so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming over. This is Keith Moreau for Tech Move. Thank you. That is Sean Robinson along with our very own Keith Moreau and the Panasonic booth, uh, of course, at NAB uh, uh, 2022. And, man, that GH6, that sounds <laughs> fantastic. Yes. I mean um, – there's a lot of hype, right? I mean, even before NAB, even before you and I talked about it, you know, it's been out for a little while, right? It's been out for a little while now. Yeah, I guess a couple months. A couple months or yeah. so. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, you know, general reviews and a lot of improvements to the thing. Keith, let, let me get your opinion of what you saw, what you heard. What do you think about the GH6? The GH6 it looks pretty cool, and after this interview, I probably will get one, just because it's it's a bit more advanced than G advanced than G advanced. It's not light light years above it, right. um, but it's got incremental improvements in different areas um, that we heard in the interview, and so it's probably worthy of getting. If you're gonna, I have a a, a bunch of of uh, lenses, mice mice now. Um, partially to support some of the Blackmagic uh, Micro Four Thirds cameras, but all cameras, but all camera series, and um, and so I think it's a worthy upgrade just to keep current because the GH5 is pretty old now. It's like yeah, several it years is, old. Isn't it? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So um, and it and I think that they the only thing that I would have loved and I talked about in the review would would have had the uh, dual pixel autofocus or the 
the the non-contrast based autofocus which they're still using and so because autofocus is really it's getting really really good in the sony's and the canons these days like like super good like you don't have to worry about it so much yep um but you still have to worry about it a little bit with the gh series still um but maybe in the future they'll come out with it i think there's just some limitations with physics and just how small the sensor is that's part of it so. Yeah, I, I think that's the only thing that I've been hearing on some of the reviews is that contrast-based uh, autofocus. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it, you know, everyone says that it's it's improved, but it's still not, you know, like everyone else's just yeah. yet. Yeah. And I but, think you're right. It's about technology. Yeah. But so I, so I actually ha- – I still have GH5. I, G- I have a GH5S. One of the things that was kind of interesting is that – my GH5 might be obsolete, but my GH5S is not yet obsolete because it oh, still has, cool. it still has better low light than the GH6. So, right. oh, uh, it but, does. Yeah, but it has less features. You know, it doesn't have the in-body stabilization and some other things like that. So, right. Um, right. So it's not you know it's, it's not as advanced, but it's still a little bit better in low light. Um, so I probably still use it as my if I have a tripod set up and I don't care about stabilization, I'll probably still use the GH5S. Um, and then I'll probably sell my GH5. So if you want a good deal, I'm. I'll, 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 be, I'll be sure to contact you. Yeah. And then right. I, I also have another GH4. And then, <laughs> and then I have a GH1. And recently, I, I, I wanted to sell some of my old gear. Yeah. Because all it's doing is just like taking up space. Right. So um, I actually got a quote from BH Photo, which actually is pretty good for buying used gear. Okay. And they were willing to give me five bucks for all of my GH cameras. So, <laughs> five dollars no more than that but it was pretty low <laughs> right like like it would have cost more to ship it to yeah. them than, than, yeah. than to get the money back from oh, them oh they include free shipping so they give oh, you oh well that's label. very kind yeah oh that's so, very kind of them so yeah no that, 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 that that's really great <laughs> but fantastic um, yeah all right well good well <laughs> hey uh thanks to sean robinson yes. over at panasonic for giving us the time and thank you keith for uh for that update of the gh6 looking forward to your tech move review when you finally get that camera in your hands yeah (laughs) yeah and uh be be interested to hear uh, what you think about that but uh that's fantastic okay let's do this we're gonna take another break and we're gonna come back with our next interview from nab and we'll be right back here on tech move Welcome back to Tech Move, and it is the great Rod Louie along with the great Keith Moreau. And uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we want to apologize because I don't know if you've been noticing throughout some of the recording or not here, but uh, we might be having some slight audio issues. And, you know, Tech Move has been one of our biggest prideful moments is <laughs> delivering you audio file type quality here and when something is a little bit subpar for us uh we usually end up like trying to slice our wrists after the shows (laughs) so with this we want to kind of like do a little explanation as to why we think we might be having some audio problems like who knows maybe right now as i'm talking i might be dropping out i might be something like that (laughs) Uh, which was pretty good, right? You thought yeah, there like was that. a problem, right, Keith? You yeah. thought that was a problem. I was scared right for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there might be an issue. So 
let us give you a little bit of a background, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we, Keith and I, are recording right now off of brand new Mac Studios. Now, I it was either in our intro or our last episode where I had I had gotten my Mac Studio, uh, but Keith was waiting on his, and he was uh, and and he had gotten his, uh, but is now actually using it. So, Keith, I'm going to let you kind of like give a little explanation on what our new setup is, uh, because let me let me just kind of set the stage a little bit here. Nothing works that we used to use (laughs) on an M1 chip. Okay, so nothing works. So uh, we essentially have to start tech move from scratch all over again. So, Keith, take it away. Let the listening audience know <laughs> the absolute travesty of TechMove right now. <laughs> okay, so back 10 years ago when we started Tech, when we started Tech, when we started almost 10 years, uh, or about 10 years that we Amazing. started. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and we'd spent about six months testing out recordings and making sure that we'd have a reliable system. And initially, it was just a bunch of jury-rigged, different pieces of software <laughs> um, to get it to record. And it, it was, was really, really awful. It yeah. was really awful. Yeah. Um, so w- one of our aims was to not use the potentially poor quality of Skype to actually re- record the audio. So what we tried to do is record um, each person's audio locally with a really high quality recording. And then later in post, I would combine the two. So I'd have Rod would actually send me his pretty large file that he'd recorded locally of his voice. Always. Skype track of my voice, and then I would take my version, which had my local good quality, and then his Skype version, and and come in and come in. And when we did the actual Tech Move episode, it only had the two goo goo rings in it, and um, that worked for years. And we used this this software called Call Recorder from this MS Ecam. Um, but you know, that's ten years ago, and it's kind of amazing they're still in business. You know, companies come and go, um, but I guess they just kind of they fi- finally f- got fed up with fed up with fed up Mac OSs and different Skypes that were coming out and everything would break. When one was updated, it would break it and they'd have to come up and they'd have to come up and they'd have, and we're using software that we just paid once for, I don't know how much it was, maybe 30 bucks or something 10 years ago. And they're still fixing stuff for us. <laughs> <laughs> I could see, I could see why now they wouldn't want to do anything with an M1 chip now. So yeah. Or for any of their customers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so they just basically said, sorry, we're done for this product. And so then Rod and I had to figure out how to record uh, so the, uh, record on, on the new operating systems and the new Macs, the new M1 Macs. So we experimented a little bit, and there's this software that I use all the time called Audio Hijack, which is awesome audio software that can record pretty much any application that's producing audio on your Mac. So they ha- there's a, a way to record Skype, and there's a way to do something exactly what we wanted to do. So to do, so to test last week, and it seemed to come out fine. Um, and then I'm, um, and then I'm um, one studio for the first time, first time, first day, and started. I did a little test. It seemed like it was okay. Um, monitoring is still weird because it's combining my local clean audio with Skype's audio, and so I'm getting an echo effect, which is really hard to listen to. Uh, when I'm recording and talking. So I'm actually just taking one of my headphones off. I only have Rod in my, in my, I'm hearing myself 
just out of my normal ear without the headphones. So, um, so that's kind of working, but then we're also noticing that I'm noticing that Rod's dropping out on the Skype recording. Rod doesn't have audio hijack yet, so he's not doing his local copy. So the actual final recording of this episode is my local audio, which probably sounds pretty clean. And then Rod's Skype audio, audio, which is audio, which is audio. It's dropping out occasionally because I hear dropouts when I'm listening to Rod. And not sure if it's Skype because Skype didn't used to drop out that much before. Or maybe it's, I think it's more the combination with audio hijack. And maybe it's something simple like some audio extension that needs to be updated that I haven't put in my system because I just did this today. It's all last minute. Um, not a good way to operate, but we're kind of on a time <laughs> crunch. So <laughs> we had to get it working. So, um, and I've just had a super busy week. Just didn't even have a moment to test this stuff. I actually just loaded my Mac Studio up today and started testing it. We're testing it. We're testing them which I'd kind of tested with the with the Mac Mini before to see if things would work with an M1, but this is the first time I've actually tested my Mac Studio with my five monitors, which finally worked, and my 20-something hard drives with different weird Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt pieces, and got it all to kind of work about half an hour before our recording session. <laughs> and then... We- yeah. Which is tremendous, right? And <laughs> and also on my side of the fence, even though I'm not really doing anything, something that Keith and I have noticed, well, I have because I, I told him about it, <laughs> is that on his Skype call that I am on, every so often uh, a digital repeat kind of happens. So yeah. like – for instance, I'll just like just that last exchange. Uh, Keith went, um, you know, Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt. <laughs> so you know, it's it's, it's almost like that. will danger, danger, danger. <laughs> I mean, it's very much like that. So yeah. uh, you know, if that won't send us over the edge, I don't know what will. So you know what? Kudos to the Mac Studio because uh, this never happened before with our Intel Mac. So you know. <laughs> Yes, Fantastic. it's. We thought it would make everything better and faster, and it's made it slower and worse. <laughs> so, thank you, Apple Mac Studio. Right. <laughs> and we're still waiting for Keith's Ultra Mac Studio. The too, Ultra so. will probably be even worse. <laughs> it'll it'll repeat me like three hundred times. Like six thousand dollars more. <laughs> we'll be. <laughs> we'll be able to we'll be able to get a recording that just is nothing but repeats on it. It's, uh, uh, it's so tremendous. Anyway, uh, so folks, because of that, we're going to spare you the uh, the horrifying sounds of us dropping out and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of end this uh, podcast a little bit sooner than we normally would. Uh, so we just want to let you know that please forgive us. You know, during our next recording, we'll we'll have it much more together. Uh, we will probably have to uh, get back the iMac that I given that I'd given away. Uh, I'll pull that back uh, from the garage, and Keith will probably pull out I'll his. Be di- I'll dig up. I'll be digging up my Mac 2C from 1985. <laughs> his his, his <laughs> Macintosh cube. <laughs> That, yes. that that's uh that glows blue so he'll he'll get that one <laughs> uh but uh hey anyway we you know 
before we, we before we close out, uh, Keith, thanks so much for heading over to NAB and talking to uh, a, a lot of our uh, old friends from Panasonic, Blackmagic, and Aperture. Uh, that was really great. So uh, really appreciate that. And we're glad that you made it back safely. We're glad that you were able to at least catch a couple of days of NAB uh, because it's always great to be able to see and hear about some of the uh, new stuff that's coming out. Yeah. Well, thank you're welcome, Rod. It was actually fun, and it's fun to be back recording with you. Yeah, it, it, it's great. Now all we have to do is figure out how to record. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Keith, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we want you, you know, I'd go through the whole list of how you can contact us, but I'm afraid I might drop out and you won't be able to hear it. <laughs> but, you know, it's the usual Facebook. Uh, what? Uh, uh, how else do we? I don't even remember now. It's uh, just all the ways. All the ways. You know, <laughs> just do a web search for the greatest podcast in the universe. And longest running longest audiovisual running. mech cinematography podcast <laughs> the, the longest running podcast about cinematography that still barely has 50 episodes under its belt so anyway this has been fun i have been rod louis and with me has been keith moreau and uh we want to thank you for joining us here and we'll catch on the next round of tech move see ya